clearly reminded, Father, we are we're clearly reminded that there comes a day when our faith will become sight and our prayer will become praise. And we look forward to that day, Lord, with eagerness and anticipation. Um, but while you are, while we are here, Lord, help us to pass our pilgrim days faithfully and fruitfully for you. We know that your hand will complete the work that you've begun, that you sustain that work as well. And in that, Lord, we rest. But also in that, we work hard um, unto you for your glory and for the good of those who are around us. So, Lord, be with us tonight. Bless your word and bring it to bear upon our hearts in a way that truly only you can, Father, for we long to hear from you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so I was going through 1 Timothy in my own devotional time over the past <clears throat> few months. I finished it. And now I'm into 2 Timothy. But it, when I think about the letter of 1 Timothy, I think about and have always thought about it being Paul's charge to Timothy on how to properly pastor the church, which it is. Um, it's full of Paul, well, God, right? God is teaching, he's instructing Timothy, how do you... How do you care for my bride? This is really what the letter's about. And he includes things like teaching correct doctrine. The first section, verses one, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, are the, the, Paul is impressing upon Timothy the importance of teaching good theology and sound doctrine. And then he does this thing, which is where I want to spend most of our, uh, where I want to spend our time tonight, in verses twelve through twenty, which for me had always kind of been like this, this portion of the letter that I just kind of skipped over real quickly, and then I got back to, yeah, okay, but what else was he supposed to do? Because as a pastor, like that's what I'm supposed to do. So I want to read this letter as in a job description for me. God is instructing Timothy what he needs to do as a pastor to care for the church. I'm a pastor. He's instructing me what, for, what I should be doing to care for the church. And that's true. But it wasn't until this past um, reading through 1 Timothy where I really began to appreciate what he says in chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. And it's sandwiched in between these two general, these two big picture charges that Paul gives to Timothy. The charge number one is in chapter one, verses one through 11, teach sound doctrine, correct bad theology and bad teaching. There's plenty of it out there. Guess what? That hasn't changed <laughs> and it's not gonna change until Christ returns. So teach sound doctrine. And then he jumps into chapter two and pray. If you're gonna be a pastor of a church, Timothy, you better be a man of prayer. You better be praying all the time. And if you don't think you need to pray, then I will show you your need for prayer. And anybody who's been in ministry for any length of time knows the foundation, the importance of prayer in the Christian walk. You cannot do what God is calling us to do. You desperately need his help. So do I. Sandwiched in between these two 
job descriptions, if you will, of, of preaching and prayer, Paul does this thing where he takes this rabbit trail, it seems, onto like a, a personal, a very short personal testimony where he talks about who he was and what God has done in his life. And then he marries that with, and so Timothy, think of yourself in this way as well. And so I want to read <clears throat> verses 12 through 20. We're not going to focus on the whole section tonight, really just on a few verses. But I just kind of want to get us get the context for what's going on, and then we'll hone in here. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, we read this. This is Paul. I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. For years and years, I would read through this text. And you know the part of the text that really captivated me the most? What does it mean to be handed over to Satan? That's the part I read through that, and I go, what does that mean? What does that look like? And I, and I completely admissed this wonderful presentation that Paul makes in this letter of him sharing his heart of how he, what God has done in his life. He's so mindful of who he was. And he's so mindful of the radical display of grace and kindness that God worked in his life to save him. That he he defines himself as an object of God's patience. And him seeing himself as an object of God's patience leads to this beautiful doxology in verse 17. It's like, I can't believe when I think about who I was and I think about who God is and the fact that he would reach down and save me and continue to display his patience to me, the only response I can think of is to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be, be honor and glory forever, ever, and amen. It's this, it's this proclamation of, uh, of the greatness of God. He, he's worshiping. In the middle of the letter, 
Like why, in the middle of his pastoral letter, it would be like if I were, in se- if I were a seminary teacher and I, were, and I were teaching other students, other young men, how to be pastors, I just broke down in the middle of one of my lectures and started singing and worshiping and praising God. What would compel someone to do that other than by the fact that they are struck by the incredible nature of God's grace and patience, struck by the incredible reality of their sinfulness and the continual display of God's goodness poured out in my life. This is what Paul does. Instruction, 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 instruction. Verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength because he judged me faithful. And he talks about who he used to be, a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. I was opposed to God. But I received mercy because I acted in ignorant and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed with me, the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And this is where I want us to focus. Verse 15, 16, 17. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I mean, Paul could, he, he, he knew, he knew that it was a trustworthy saying, deserving of full acceptance, that God came in, Christ came into the world to save sinners because Christ had saved him. He could testify with, with, with personal testimony as to the extraordinary gracious nature of God because he had been a recipient of it himself. I mean, it's one thing to see somebody showing, a, giving, displaying a, an incredible act of loving kindness to another person. You look at that and you go, wow, that was incredible. It's a completely another thing for someone to express an, uh, uh, an act of loving kindness to you. When you receive it, when you're the recipient of it, it just it takes on a whole new dimension. It's personal. Paul's feeling the impact. I mean, as a pastor, he's saying, these are the things you need to do, and then he's impacted by what God has done in his life. He knows he has no right to be doing what he's doing. He should not have this office apart from the incredible grace of God working in his life. That's the only reason why he's doing what he's doing. I feel like each one of us should, should, should agree with Paul in saying, we sh- like, no, I'm the foremost. <laughs> I hear you. And, 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 and when you come to that place, The goodness and the grace of God is it's, it's as sweet as it can possibly be. He's, I mean, then he, so that, that go, leads him to say what he says in verse 16. But I received mercy for this reason. Why, in Paul's mind, in God's mind, right? I mean, God's the author of this passage. Paul, God is telling Paul in why he saved him, and he's telling us why he has saved us. I received mercy for that, for this reason. Why? Why did you receive mercy? Why did Paul receive mercy? That in me, in you, in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience 
as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. The modern day way of saying that, I know he can save you because he saved me. That's the shorthand modern way for what Paul is saying here. I know he can save you because he saved me. I know he can be patient with you because he's patient with me. You don't understand what I'm saying. I know he can be patient with you because he is patient with me. And if he can be patient with me, he can be patient with anybody. I mean, that is like the reality for the, for the sinner when they come to know Christ. Is that we have all of a sudden now, we have this hope. I mean, can you see how this is feeding into to Paul's missionary endeavors? What an incredible amount of practical hope this provides to him. R.C. Sproul said, I don't know who the elect are. I'm just going to assume everybody's elect. And I'll let God. And so I'll just share the gospel with everybody. <laughs> and that, was, that, that, was, that, that should be like the Christian mentality. God has been patient with me. He can be, if he saved me, he can save you. He's patient with me. He can be patient with you. I thought I was hopeless. There's hope for you in Christ. And so what did he do? He, got on, he put on his sandals and his robe and he went. He got on the ship and he went. He went into the synagogue over and over and over again to tell people this wonderful news about Jesus and how they can be saved and people didn't like it. And it didn't stop him. Because he knew that at any moment, divine intervention can happen in a sinner's life because Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And he knew it. And Timothy knew it. And I know it. And you know it. The question is, are we shaped by it to the degree where it informs our living? I mean, do you have this hope? Do you believe God can truly save anybody because he saved you? Do you know, do you know, and do you see yourself? You are an object of God's patience. I'm an object of God's patience. I, th I, you know, we're not like him. We say we're patient, we're not. Not like he is. You know, I mean, you think of the people around you that rub you the wrong way, patient, 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 and then what do you do? I gotta take a break, man. Give me some space. Why? My patience is running out. That's not God. He never goes, Nick, oh my, just, Go to your room for a minute, dude. I need, I, need, I need a break. He never says that. He just always shows me patience. I am an object of God. I am a recipient, an object of God's patience. And so are you. And that testifies to the nature of God. He, came in, he sent his son to come into the world to save sinners, and he patiently is plucking his people out of the pit every single day all over the globe as his children are geared up with the gospel to go out and share it with whomever would listen hoping that the God of salvation would save them 
and leading that in his hands. He's patient with you. That should, that should help you. It should help me to be patient with others. I'm, I, and then he leads into this, this worship to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Of course. What are you going to say after, after your heart's just been, I mean, you've been humbled. It's like Paul is just, he's, you know, he, he stays humbled. God never allows him to get too big for his britches. Keeps him humbled. You know how, you know what a wonderful grace it is for God to humble his people? I mean, we don't like it. We don't like when he humbles us. But do you realize what an extraordinary act of love that is on God's behalf for you? To not let your, your pride get out of control like it can. And begin to think too highly of yourself. It's an act of God's love when he puts his, hand, his thumb down upon you. Whoa, 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 pal. Who's, who is the immortal, invisible, and the only God forever and ever? It's, he's being kind to you and I when he does that. Um, I want to look at verse 18 real quickly, and I want us to see how then Paul um, makes this practical for Timothy too. This charge, I so Paul has this moment of, of worship. God shows his patience on Paul. He shows his patience on us. This should lead to a humility, a, a thanksgiving, um, a hopefulness where we rest in God. Paul is God-centered. He, his proclamation in verse 17 is, is, that, is a proclamation that God is also God-centered. God rejoices in showing his patience and his goodness and his kindness towards us. And then he makes a transition to, to Timothy in verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage <clears throat> the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. Paul knows where he came from. He knows God's patience. Then he uses this line of thinking to encourage Timothy as well. Be mindful of the prophecies previously made about you. Prophes Who prophesied that Timothy would be in this role? Ultimately, the author of all prophecy, God. Paul sees that he's in his position by God's ordination. He's just given his brief testimony and talked about that. And then he does it in this way for Timothy. You're in your position by God's ordination as well. And I was thinking about that for us. In, in a way, because God is the, the author of all prophecy. And he at one time made a prophetic declaration as to who would be his before the foundation of the world. You and I, as, are we, as well, are objects of the prophetic word of God and his act and working in our life. And, and just like Paul was where he was supposed to be, and just like Timothy was where he was supposed to be, you and I are where we are by God's plan and ordination because he is fulfilling his redemptive work through Paul, through Timothy, through me, through you, and through all his people. His prophetic word is still going out making disciples fulfilling the prophetic promise that he would have a people for himself, which he declared before the foundation of the world. 
So you can know that you are where you are and you are living where you are living and you have the job that you have and your spou- the spouse that you have and the kids that you have and, and every other thing in your life has all been ordained and orchestrated by the one who works all things in accordance with the conformity of his perfect will on purpose. There are no coincidences. And what God is calling you and I to do is to nestle into the one who is immortal, invisible, the only God, the one who deserves glory forever and ever. <clears throat> trust in what he's doing. Trust, trust and know you are where you are by his design. And he is using you as he used Paul and Timothy and others for the expansion and the growth of his kingdom and the proclamation of his glory and especially this saying that's trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. My prayer is that we would be encouraged by this and that by this, then we too may wage the good warfare. You're in a spir- we're in a spiritual battle, we're not? Wage the good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience where you are right now. Engage in the warfare that God has placed you in, trusting the captain that he is, he is, he is won the war and he is with each and every one of us in our battles, accomplishing his divine purposes through us. Now that's good news. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the fact that you have a word that you've given to us that declares the end from the beginning. It tells us <clears throat> what you're like. It tells us who you are, what you've done in us. Not only that, but you give us these examples like with Paul where he lays out his heart and he can testify to the power of your salvation and your goodness and grace because he's a recipient of it. We can see how that was helpful for him in an everyday way. We can see how that became a motivational tool and, and a baton he would pass off to Timothy as well. And then we receive that baton by your prophetic word as well, God. We know that you are the one who is accomplishing your redemptive plan. You spoke long ago, declared long ago what it is that you were going to be doing, and you are carrying it out with absolute certainty. May we continue to trust in you and engage in the battle and wage the good warfare with a good conscience and faith, God, in you and trusting what you're doing in your character, who you are. So we thank you for this time, and I pray that we have been encouraged as I have been encouraged through this passage. And I pray, God, that you would continue to grow within us a humility, continue to grow within us a gratitude and a hope that's fixed upon you as the one who's the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, and the only one deserving of honor and glory forever and ever. And we say that with an amen. Amen. Please stand and we'll sing our last song together.